Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hey! Yeah! Dragon Talk. Welcome to this Dragon Talk. It is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and Shelly has a frog in her throat. I almost made myself choke on that. (laughs) Oh, God. Excuse it was, me. It was all those audience members that were screaming yeah. and yelling so much. Gosh, yeah. Somebody like smoking in here or something. I don't know what I'm choking on, but <laughs> put it out. Put it out. Hi. What is this, 1987? God, yeah. Right? Sorry. Right? I'm Greg Tito, and I no longer smoke cigarettes, and Shelly Mazzanoble is here with us. Yep, yep. Here I am. We've all I, quit I, yes, many, many years I ago. I don't do that. I don't do that. Only the dragon characters that I play now smoke. Well, they can't help that. Exactly. Red dragons, I should say. Uh, But we are excited to be here because we have a wonderful guest to speak to, Michael Sinclair II, who has been doing so much uh, TTRPG and D&D live play stuff. Uh, You'll rattle on all of the wonderful credits, but they include Let's Get Wild Mount, Fae Forge Academy, Into the Motherlands, uh, and Second Star to the Right. So many of the folks that we have uh, had on Dragon Talk in the past and had yeah. at D&D events and things like that are, uh, you know, his his colleagues and players along in all these things. And also dabbles in the, the magic, the magic, the gathering as well. So. That's right. I would say even more than dabbles. I think he is a... Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the next level beyond dabbler? Uh... Like a mixer, a uh, I don't know the next level. Wow, <laughs> he's multi-level. Yes. multi-level marketing is what it is all about. This episode, <laughs> there definitely is a theme. Oh man! Well, we are excited about all of the fun stuff that's going on in D and D. If you want to pay attention to all that, go to the uh, Dungeons and Dragons website uh, as well as our social feeds. But we were excited to announce Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel recently. Uh, Yay! And, yeah. Oh, the studio audience loves that book. I can't wait for that to come out uh, in June. Uh, the alt cover there oh. that's only available through games game stores is one of my favorites we've ever seen. Yeah, I actually, both of those covers, I think, are phenomenal. It's true. Uh, So go ahead and check those out. Pre-order them if you are interested. Uh, Lots of great uh, storytelling and new content from planes and locations that have never been seen in D&D before Mm -hmm. are in there. Yep. And we know that uh, everybody loves those anthologies, those one-shots, those, uh, again, (laughs) (laughs) multi-levels. It's happening. We don't even mean to do it, but we're always marketing (laughs) at at multiple levels. At multiple levels. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of someone who's operating on multiple levels, I can't wait to talk to Dan Dillon about a wonderful new monster. Well, not a new monster, but a monster that he's going to uh, give us lots of ton details about. uh, And that's coming up next before we have our interview with Michael Sinclair. Okay. Welcome to another segment of Meet Your Monsters. We are going to talk about some very fun things uh, today, I guess you could say. Quotes, air quotes, fun. I am Greg Tito, and we have Shelly here still. Hi, Shelly. Yep, yep. hi. We have the mind flayer himself, Dan Dillon. Yay! I've been promoted. (laughs) You are chief mind flayer. 
Hi, it's great to be here. Delighted to be back. We're only saying that because your beautiful hair reminds us of tentacles. Mind flayer tentacles. <laughs> that's that's how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> you need to, you need to grow out that beard, and then you and really could like kind of bind it some, into little put some gel or oh something God. in there and yeah, put some tentacle beads. them up. <laughs> Got yeah. some cosplay ideas happening here in real time. Mind flayer uh, mask bling. <laughs> Yeah, mind flayers, iconic monsters. They are. Um, they are. And why? Why do people love? Why do you love mind flayers? Why? Because they're a horrible, the scary alien thing. No, I mean they're they're a they're just a staple classic D and D monster because they're just they're so very D and D. You know, it, it, we pull from a lot of different folklore and stories. This one is just—it's um, just sort of woven into the fabric of the game, right? Um, they're these alien, rubbery-skinned, tentacle-faced humanoids, kind of a squiddy look, mm. uh, squidwurst, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they are psionic. They're telepathic. They do you know wondrous magical things with their mind powers. Uh, but they're most known for short-circuiting your your mind, so you're stunned and, and sort of helpless, and then they feast on your brain. Uh, so they are they have, they have a long and storied history of being one of the monsters that can can take out a player character in pretty short order. Absolutely, yeah. There are that like mid-tier uh, mm-hmm. type of adversary that feels really really scary yeah. when you first encounter them. Um, and many folks who are playing through the early access of Baldur's Gate 3, uh, they have a, a special place in the storytelling there where we get to feel firsthand how seramorphosis occurs. They it is to be avoided. Sure uh, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't want that. Let's just, uh, you know, cross that off the list. But uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is doing some really fun stuff with them and the uh the the intro trailer which I'm sure a lot of people can can go check out if you want to watch the cinematic is just woo. Yeah. Uh you get to see some mind flayer nastiness at work. Definitely a body horror content warning for folks who might want to check that out. <laughs> yes, very true. Uh but also, yeah, you get to see so- one of their cooler things, you get to see one of their nautiloid ships, one of the these like plane fairing that they can uh, fly from one plane of existence to another ships shaped kind of like a nautilus uh super cool and like you said it's got that uh alien feel but in the almost science fiction sense yeah yeah they really do because you know they've got the ship thing going on uh we presented a crashed mind flayer ship in rhyme of the frost maiden uh and you can find some cool wacky futuristic sort of ray guns and laser pistols and stuff in there that's you know part of all this weird magical tech that's hiding in the downed spaceship it's a lot of fun and they also have this quality of uh, a hive mind right almost like the borg yeah. also a sci-fi mm-hmm. trope um but mind flayers predate borg just throwing, just throwing it out there uh but <laughs> it is uh, very interesting to have an adversary do assimilate people <laughs> yes exactly right it's very interesting to have this adversary that is one of a whole rather than an individual mm-hmm. yeah uh they, they lean heavy into that whole psychic psionic line of things so they speak telepathically they don't really have a spoken language of their own um they can kind of approximate it by using one of their tentacles to fake being a tongue but that sounds horrific. What? Wait, why would they do that? Because <laughs> they don't have a tongue on their own. They have a mouth like a lampreys, just this round thing with all these teeth around it for boring through skulls and getting at the brains, which is which is their sustenance. Uh, yeah, so they can't approximate humanoid speech, 
except oh, by oh, doing okay. that trick with the tentacle to help shape words. Blech. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they mostly communicate telepathically, though. Yeah, telepathically. Um, so that could be an issue if they're in a place that is maybe an area of anti-magic where that doesn't function. So then they would have a reason to, you know, stoop to using actual sounds. <laughs> um, can I tell you what I think the grossest part of the description of the Mind Flayer is? Yes, please. An illithid healthy from a brain-rich diet secretes a thin glaze of mucus that coats its mauve skin. Yep. The grossest part of that is mauve. That is so 1980s. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great rubbery alien. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Well, at least you know it's healthy, I guess, when you see that mucus glaze. They've got that uh, that glistening shine. Yeah, you know they're... (laughs) Yeah. Well fed. Yes. Maybe, maybe that's why I always default to my lighting here being purple on my li- Mind Flayer trophy that's behind me because it's yeah. a movie shade of pinky russet. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It's all uh, yeah. It's all in a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, how many brains does a Mind Flayer need to consume to like stay healthy? Is it like a, a snake that like only needs to eat like every so often, or you know, I, are they uh, constantly I, eating them? I don't. Th- think at least in fifth edition that we've kind of dug into that level of specificity in their ecology, but we, we definitely have, have said they eat humanoid brains for uh, not only the physical sustenance, but also they take psychic sustenance from it. They sort of absorb the memories and experiences and uh, along with all the brain chemicals and, and well, what if they're not good stuff. memories or good experiences? Do they just, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. They, flares, it all tastes the same. They, they just want experience and the 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 energy that is within a thinking mind. <clears throat> Good, Ugh. bad. Uh, they don't think like we do, so those terms really don't mean anything to a mind flayer. They are very just wholly alien. Survival is what's important to them, right? And not just the survivor on an individual level, but the hive survival. Right. Yeah, you mentioned the hive mind a couple of times. So mind flayers organize around these sort of colonies where they'll all be kind of grouped together. And then the colony will be ruled and run by something called an elder brain, which is Mm. just massive uh, brain creature with tentacles in this briny pool where uh, it spawns mind flayer tadpoles. These little, little guys with four tentacles that, that swim. Oh, no, that sounds cute. And they take captured humanoids and take one of those tadpoles and drop it, and it digs into the brain, and that's how you get a mind flare. Oh, that's how they are. That's how they reproduce. Created. Yeah, that you drop yeah. it into. They're existing- yeah, they're a parasitic creature. They uh, this this organism invades the brain, eats it, replaces it, changes the body into a mind flare. Is there any save from that happening, or is that just don't get like, caught? <laughs> it's it's really a you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in this case. <laughs> yes, like once it's in there, there's no you're just you're turning. So in in sort of the baseline presentation, it happens pretty rapidly, right? So they have they have their prisoner, they've incapacitated them or restrained them in some way. They introduce this thing, and this process is what Greg mentioned earlier. It's called seromorphosis. Uh, it turns them into the into a new mind flare pretty quickly. During which time they're they're out of it, can't really do anything. They're just undergoing this change. Um, but you know, and that's cool for what it is. But uh, we've mentioned Baldur's Gate three, the, the video game, a couple of times. One of the cool things they do is these slow acting 
uh, mind flare tadpoles that infect people, but don't change them right away. They kind of change them gradually and maybe sort of work on their mind a little bit, get them to buy into the change because they offer them psychic <laughs> goodies and cool powers. And hey, the more you use these, the stronger they get. What do you think? Uh, and so, you know, sort of slowly turning into a mind flare and, or building this up until they reach a critical mass and then change. So that that uh, is really intriguing uh, for me to play with. And actually I did. Uh, I, this just kind of popped into my memory. Last year, I ran a charity one shot and uh, the players didn't know what they were doing. Um, and they all sort of woke up in these weird alien tubes come to find out they're on board a nautiloid and they've all got tadpoles in their heads. So they have to figure out where they are, how to get out and what to do about it before their time runs out. I love that. Such a great way to use all this uh, background that we've just been talking about and then have the players have to react to it in real time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like the gradual change. It's like, oh, like you can just like every, however you pace it, but just seeing Mm -hmm. like your body and your mind changing Mm-hmm. And like knowing and that can, time's be, running out. You can be super subtle with it, right? Like yes. uh, they heard essentially announcements over the ship's loudspeaker in, you know, it basically just sounded like noise. None of them could really understand it. As the adventure went on, they started to understand it and they realized they weren't hearing it with their ears. They were perceiving it in their mind as they were slowly becoming more sort of telepathically attuned as the the tadpoles kind of woke up. Well. Ugh, the tadpoles. Yeah. So if if you become, <laughs> if you are going through this change gradual or rapidly do you mm-hmm. do you remember your old life uh in general so again like this is sort of the baseline and then you know do whatever you want with it that's gonna yeah. make a great story but in general once a, once a person becomes a mind flayer they're a mind flayer now they might remember who they were what they were the things they knew but that sort of becomes uh the assets of the hive mind now Right, oh. and then it's almost on on par with brains that they consume. It's just like, oh, here yep. are things that I've consumed. Exactly. You know, the first thing I consumed just happened to be this original being that got the tadpole put in them. Yeah, and when when mind flayers perish, uh, they will often bring their their slain brethren to the brine pool, and the elder brain will consume that mind flayer's brain, thus preserving all of the knowledge that they have absorbed. And they sort of that's the closest idea they have to an afterlife is that they will become this sort of one with the hive mind. And so as a dungeon master, you mentioned one really interesting way to be able to use them. Uh, They could also be used as kind of like an always-on adversary, even a big bad of an elder brain over the course of an entire campaign uh, based on this, right? Yeah, I mean, you could you could face a certain elder brain's minions throughout most of the campaign and never know what's actually pulling the strings. And then... As as levels and uh, story progress, you can start realizing more and more what's happening, and you're not dealing with you know one mind flare that shows up randomly here or there. They have a plan; they're coordinated; they're looking for things. Oh, this giant monstrosity is telling them what to do, and now it noticed you, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We don't. How would you play happen. a mind flare if you're using the your voice and things to be that psionic voice in, oh, in, we in get the players' it. heads? You have good voices. We know you do. So uh, I, I did the 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 Nothic voice. That's actually that that, that actually uh, also so doubled gross. as my mind flare voice. Grasping, <laughs> then oh, that sort of thing, and uh, and that's of course that's all rattling around in your mind. There's no actual voice to it, so you can you can have a lot of fun with the uh, 
the the alien weirdness and nasty descriptions and how off-putting that could be for people who are used to conversing like this. And, you know, our thoughts are our own. They're private. That's that's us. And then this thing just sort of invades. And it's not just you anymore. You're... <laughs> It's pulling out memories and things that you haven't even said or or, yeah, or, which, or which they can shared yeah, with they, other people. Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. They, they can, can just start controlling, like, is this oh, yeah. when, when the tadpole is in your brain or well, just I mean, on their uh, own? I'm not even talking about that. You know, I'm talking about the mind flares themselves. They are highly telepathic, highly, uh, highly powerful creatures. And so they can dig into your memories. They can read your surface thoughts just all the time, whenever they want. Okay. So they they know just like what you're thinking all the time um, that they can just the, do that. Yeah, okay. yeah, they can just cast detect thoughts at will, and they're they're psionic creatures, so they don't do any of the usual trappings of of D and D magic. So no waving their fingers, no chanting words, no, no you know no special materials, none of that. It's just all from the power of their mind. So and and so yeah, they can just have that all the time. They always detect thinking creatures within about thirty feet of them. So. Even if you're sneaking up on the other side of a wall, they'll feel your thoughts before they can ever see or hear you. Uh, yeah, and then they can dig if they want. If they were, are looking for a specific memory, they can invade your mind and look for it. Mm. That you can resist a better than the, the the basic sort of mind reading. But yeah, scary stuff. They can uh, enslave thoughts and uh, dominate someone to to follow their telepathic orders. So what would that feel like? So if you were a dungeon master and you're like going to try to mind control someone in the party, mm-hmm. what is, are you just going to like ask the party member like to oh, just, hey, by the way, make me a whatever, like a kind of. Uh, yeah. So it, it kind of depends on how I feel like setting the tone. I would probably sort of split it between is the mind flayer being sneaky and subtle about it? Is it maybe in the next room where you don't even know it's there and it's just yeah. sort of telepathically scanning to find you? Or is it, you know, you're sort of facing it down and it's trying to crush your will to resist? Um, one, one important thing to keep in mind when you get into using these creatures and these kind of stories, this is the kind of thing that can squick some people out pretty bad. So make sure you're talking to your players and, and that they're cool with, Hey, you know, in this game or this campaign, we may deal with things like mind control or, are you okay with, you know, facing that as an adversary? Um, just, you know, it, it's never a bad idea to check in on those things that yeah. can, um, that can really dig into, you know, someone's sort of their their core self and then how they might portray that through a character. But assuming that's all on on the up and up and, and everybody's cool with it, um, you can, uh, if you go subtle with the mind control, you could talk about hearing a faint whisper that's just kind of on the edge of their consciousness that they can't quite make out. And then depending on their saving throw, maybe those whispers get insistent and they find themselves doing things that they don't really mean to and can't stop. Uh, or you can go sort of less scalpel, more hammer and talk about, you know, searing pain in their head from this uh, telepathic invasion or uh, like a thick pounding headache that feels like their skull is splitting and then their body starts moving of its own accord. Yeah. And it's a good point. I, I like you that you yeah. brought up the um, uh, kind of session zero of talking about mm-hmm. this, but mm-hmm. it's also really important to just from a game design uh, to make sure that the agency is not completely taken away from the player, right? Or if right. it is, it's done in a way that the player is is okay with. Because yeah. I know as a player, it sucks when you're just like, all right, well, I guess I'm mind-controlled, then why am I even here? Right. Especially so, if it's an over an entire session or something like that, you're just like, yeah, oh, okay. And these are thankfully, you know, this... It, 
these features all sort of run through the spellcasting system. So all this stuff I'm describing, that, that's this thing's way of casting Dominate Monster. So that has everything that goes along with it. If you have ways to remove the charmed condition, that can that can snap them out of the spell. Uh, there's um, an, an initial saving throw. They could just shrug it off entirely if, they're, uh, if their sort of mental defenses are strong uh, or they get a lucky roll. <laughs> In the case of people who have dumped wisdom, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, or if uh, and there's clauses for re-rolling that save, kind of fighting the control when it's got you doing things that you don't want to be doing. So there's there's outs. That's right? good. I encourage the players to to, to use those yep. as much as you can. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so that, smacking the mind flare hard enough to break its concentration, so it's not. <laughs> so it's right because it is a concentration oh. effect anymore. You're right. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask, is there a way you could help a party member if you know they're under control? Like, I guess, smacking, yeah. finding that mind flayer and breaking their concentration. Uh, yeah, the, the mind-controlled character actually gets to repeat saving throws every time they take damage. So if they end up fighting you, you can kind of, you know, try and s- slap some sense into them, I guess. <laughs> uh, but then that's that becomes, uh, that becomes another angle of kind of the horror of this creature, right? Because to help your friend, you might have to hurt them. And you have to be careful not to push that too far, right? Snap out of it, right? You slap yeah. them across the face. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. You know, so that thanks, might, Cher. So, and, but... and that's interesting because then that kind of takes some of the party sort of out of the fight where they're using their action to kind of try and slap their, you know, sh- shake some sense into their friend rather than doing something horrible and destructive and deadly to the mind flare, which, you know, that's all gravy for the for the mind flare. Right. Yeah, that's where the, the interesting battles can happen when you get to introduce mind flares. Um, would you say that's scary with they've got that mind blast attack where they can just nuke every mind in a cone and stun them so they can they, they're they're dangerous oh. foes yeah i was just gonna say when do you think would be a good level range to to introduce them uh against your against your party sure so so they're challenge rating seven um that gives you kind of a a, a very general baseline idea that okay a, a party of level seven characters can handle one of these without spending too many resources. So you can use that sort of as your benchmark. Um, If you start reaching down into levels lower than that, you need to be really careful um, because they do have the ability to deal just a massive amount of damage. Uh, We talked about that whole eating brains thing. They have this extract brain attack. If they grapple you with their tentacles and you're stunned, uh, they do uh, 10d10 damage. To, uh, to, to chew on your brain. So uh, for those of you at home, that could be a hundred damage. <laughs> it could be. It could be. It's an average of fifty-five. So you're probably going to land somewhere around there. Um, but you know, oh, those, no. those outliers happen. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, that's all eights, nines, and tens. Uh oh. Uh, so when you're using these critters, especially if you're going to go lower than uh, than level seven, take a peek at the hit point totals of your party and see who can actually like say this thing grabs a hold of them with the tentacles, which do damage. And then the extract does damage. So that's a total of 70 on average, total wow. of 70. Oh, damage. come on. Yeah. 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 That's why they're, <laughs> so, they're vicious. Uh, you really need to look at if this gets a hold of the wizard, will the wizard even potentially survive? Oh, the wizard. Right. Yeah. Um, so the that's, wizards that's have the tastiest brains, I'm told. Well, there's, Ooh, there's a lot of thoughts in there. Yes, <laughs> a lot of knowledge. Knowledge tastes yeah. delicious. Yep, super, it does. super good. Knowledge and experience. So I love that we got to have this, you know, kind of deep dive uh, on on Mind Flayer. There's so much more 
lore and story around them. So another possible thing would be to, you know, find some allies because pretty much every good aligned or not good aligned race in the D&D multiverse I mean, hates mind flares. Honestly, <laughs> pretty much every sapient, every thinking being out there would look at these guys and realize that I am food to this thing and nothing more. Food or labor force. <laughs> yeah. Minion. So they can be yeah. a great way to kind of build relationships with other beings in wherever yeah. you're playing to to you know unite against this foe. Yeah, this can be a great lever to do sort of an unlikely allies story with mm. a, a group that oh, your yeah. uh, that your party may have been at odds with for whatever reason. Um, and you know you set your differences aside to deal with. We've got a mind flare hive that has sprung up and is now messing with us. That has to stop. <laughs> Which is again happening in Baldur's Gate three with one of the characters, the uh, uh, the Githrai, who is able to yep. um, uh, Gith Yankee. She's a Gith Yankee. Yeah. Yes, no, I was the Githrai the other ones. Yes, yep. uh, exactly. So I just love that. You know, we're we're, exactly. we're, yep. we're strange bedfellows, but we're able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dan. I know there's so much more to go into on Mind Flayers, but... Uh, yeah, it just scratches the surface. <laughs> for those of you who have not yet used them in your campaigns, here's a great way to uh, hopefully use some of what we've talked about here to be inspired. But do we want them to? Do we? I don't think we do. Do we? As long as everybody at the table is good with it, yes. <laughs> Always a good right. caveat. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. We I have thanks, determined Dan. that you are not a Mind Flayer after this Fantastic. conversation. Not Fantastic. controlled Everything by a Mind Flayer? Going according to plan. Thank you so much for having me on. This is always a blast. <laughs> you are not you. a mind player. <laughs> but you we forced are. me to say. No. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. If people have any uh, questions about uh, uh, monsters or or mind players, uh, what's a good way to uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, best way is probably to reach me directly at Twitter uh, at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. Sweet. All right. Yes. Well, Maybe you'll be able to find out if uh, there are any mind flayers out there. Oh, boy. <laughs> Do you want that knowledge? It'll make your know. brain tastier. I don't want to know. Thank you. <laughs> wow, man, I know so much more about these mind flayers and they are driving me crazy. <laughs> That's the sound you hear. Yes, their tentacles. When your uh, mind is being flayed. I even have a mind flayer hanging out right behind me. You do. So you better be careful. The trophy from WizKids is one of my favorites because I think it was you, Shelly, who mistakenly walked underneath one uh, one day. I was just going to mention that. <laughs> I dropped my still- lunch. One of my favorite. It hit me in the eye, and <laughs> I don't know. And I was with Larry Elmore, who you know, the uh, game designer, inventor of Access and Allies, and he was like, "Oh, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yep, yep, totally happens totally all the time." <laughs> got attacked by a mind flayer in my own you office while careful. holding my lunch. Yeah, but at not holding my lunch because it fell on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say because you threw it up all over. Uh, no, that mind flare is like, give me your lunch, bam! Smacked <laughs> me across the face. Like, oh, take it. Take oh, my man. baby carrots and veggie burger. That mind flare was actually just Liz's shoe. She's just, <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I love that. Oh, my God. 
That's the best. I love the idea of Liz hitting me and taking my lunch. This is terrible. Never do that. She would never. It's, it's she's so, the opposite of that person. Oh, I love it. I love it. And she's definitely <laughs> not a mind player at all either. No. Uh, but so fun. All right. Well, uh, lots of remembrances uh, in this episode of the before times of things that occurred uh, <laughs> back when we had offices as well as D&D events. So uh, I can't wait Aww. to Last time I saw Michael Sinclair, the second in the flesh was at the Stream of Many Eyes, and I can't wait to uh, welcome him here on Dragon Talk. Yeah, let's do it. Everyone, let's welcome Michael Sinclair, the second to Dragon Talk. Yay! Hello, hello. You're here. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. Finally, so excited. finally here. <laughs> I know. It feels just like, kind of like you've always been here. Oh, thanks. Yes. But we've been like, you know, Twitter friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you folks are one of the first people I followed in the D&D community. And uh, obviously listened to Dragon Talk like since like 2016, 2017. Wow. So, yeah, I've definitely been, I've been, you know, around. Yeah. <laughs> long time listener, first time guest. Yes. I love it. Exactly. I feel like we should have like a special patch or something for you. <laughs> right, that's, which then you yeah. can end up putting on your five timers jacket once that yes, happens. Yes, exactly. You, go. you know, you just have to. That's the secret, folks. You just have to listen for like five <laughs> years, and then you can be on the show. That's that's it. <laughs> yep. All you gotta do is ask. Well, go. as well as being a wonderfully talented, uh, you know, role player and oh. uh, presence in the D and D community, don't sell yep. yourself short. You've been doing so much awesome Thank stuff. You. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Hard to keep up sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. That is that's modern life, uh, but also very much uh, being, you know, I wouldn't say internet famous, but like being very heavily online mm-hmm. uh, and you know, participating in, in, in streams as well as doing great stuff with uh, Magic the Gathering on game nights and things like that. Like you mm-hmm. are, you've got your pulse on many of the things going on at Wizards of the Coast, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> you have it's earned wonderful. your place on Dragon Talk for oh, sure. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for setting up the VIP lounge here. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you like that? The green mm-hmm. the green room? Yeah, it's very, very Everything nice. on your rider was provided, I, I hope? Yes, it was. Okay, Everything, yep. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the separated the colors of, of, of M&M's to mm-hmm. uh, the champagne, both non-alcoholic and alcoholic. Yeah, the hero feast was provided, so thank you. <laughs> Only the best. Only the best. Uh, so yeah, you, uh, let's let's talk about some of the the, the streaming shows that you've been doing because you've you've done so many, and I feel like you've got uh, uh, you know probably as many characters created in D and D Beyond than I have. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I, I'm actually I like D and D Beyond. I'm pretty uh, what do you call this? I'm pretty reserved. Like I I really don't like make fifty eleven characters and like I'm gonna use it for like one of these things. I'm like I have a campaign I need to do. This is really easy. Obviously D and D Beyond super awesome, and so like I just like putting these the you know the character that I need when I need it and so everything's really clean I've ADHD so it's like the fewer things that are on that screen the the better it is for me yeah so you create a character for the campaign it mm-hmm. does not happen you don't just like you're not just creating characters and then be like hey this no. one is is r- raring to go let's drop yeah. this one in no not to yuck anyone's yum but like, I know people like go ham yeah. on the character creator which is wonderful it's like some people need to like keep their ideas out there so that they can revisit them. And for me, I'm always kind of just have them in my head. And like, I'm always like thinking about different sort of characters. So I guess mine's a little bit more, um, 
in the moment, but I kind of abstract my characters in my head. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I had that idea. I'm just going to use it for this campaign. So that's kind of what I do. That nice. works. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a really fun way to go about so that it's more of a story uh, collaboration rather than just mm-hmm. cookie cutter. Let me just put this in here. Um, yeah. So yeah. What, uh, what, do you gravitate towards any specific type of, of character when you play? Oh yeah, I am warlock heavy. I am warlock main like all the time. Like I'm just like, how can I play a warlock always? Uh, that's kind of like where I start. I've branched out a bit. I've, I've kind of gone to uh, different things. I've done different campaigns. I've done fighter, cleric, uh, wizard. Um, what other stuff have I done in another like actual stream show? I think those are the ones that I've done. So those are. Uh, the things that I've kind of branched out to, but normally my my baseline is just like warlock. There's just something about it that calls to me for sure. What do you think that is? What is what is, is a it that patron? A patron, yeah. Patron, matron, <laughs> you know, a, a parental, yeah. Um, I think it's just like it's such an awesome. The role playing kind of lends itself there. Like you, I with agree. you and the DM, it's kind of like a this very organic um, <clears throat> sort of role playing. And it can always be like a story beat. It can always be like uh, calling the party or characters to a place that needs to, to go, like you need to go to. So, and I like really playing uh, RP heavy and I really like, you know, it's improv. So I like tossing the ball to other people. I like making sure that like the story is continuing and I'm working with the DM because I can tell that DM wants us to kind of move on. There's other stuff to kind of check out. And so I feel like Warlock is kind of like the, um, what do you call this? The the Swiss Army knife of mm. like role playing in classes. You can kind of always get what you need done, uh, story progression wise, or whatever the the moment calls with a warlock. If you can play it really well, I am have just started a new campaign, and I am playing a warlock. And I'm like, where has this been all my life? Why have I not dabbled in the warlock? So good, just, I, yeah. I can't, I I maybe did once early on, and I know I had a wizard that had some, you know, shady dealings. So, like, Mm -hmm. I touched on the idea of of a warlock, and the the dungeon master was always like, this, you can do this, you can have this thing. In my case, it was this show, uh, retired show bear that I rescued from a circus. Amazing. You can have your familiar, but... Not without a cost, and and I it was always like something that hovered over me. Like I don't know when you're going <laughs> to come, come collecting on this. Yeah, and I actually love that. And unfortunately, like the our um, our campaign ended. We yeah, you know, it was like whatever. It ended for other reasons before he ever came calling. So I I never knew, but I know he had an idea of what mm-hmm. it was going to be. We just never yeah never got it. It's so. awesome because like you can just always you're you as a role player and your character are always going to have like that sort of motive in yes. mind or that, that kind of relationship in mind. So you, the RP comes a little bit easier in, in those sort of instances. Uh, and it's, it's really nice that like tit for tat kind of thing between yeah. you and the DM. It's, it's really, it just flows. I just love it. And cool. honestly, I don't think we told the party that this hmm. was something that could happen. And now I'm wondering, maybe he even like alluded to like, it wasn't going to be good. Like whatever it was, Mm -hmm. it was not going to be good. I was going to be forced to make terrible decisions that were going to negatively impact my party. And there were several times when I thought 
it was going to happen. Like the, I think the dungeon master was doing it on purpose, like a, so, like a, like real, a red herring. like a real, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Oh God, this is it. Like we're, it's coming for me now. And then it didn't. But so like I did end up playing my character with like always like a little bit on edge and it did impact like the choices and the actions and the friendships that I was making in the game. Mm. Oh, Oh, thank you. So sweet. Oh, Aww, a dandelion. He's so cute. That's the awesome. most valuable of all flowers. Yeah, it's very <laughs> rare. You don't find these Never. Not in nice. our yard at all. I think your patron just uh, appeared and gave you I a think, flower. That is yes. definitely my patron, but he collects all the time. All the time. Constantly collecting. <laughs> of course, we're talking about Quinn, uh, the yes, son who just son came just... in. For those of you not watching as we are, and this all happening in real time. <laughs> if you're not one of the three people who are actually watching this happen. <laughs> yes, my son just came in and gave me a little dandelion. It's adorable. Mm. That seems threatening to me. <laughs> Greg, Greg is instantly suspicious. Should I smell it? (laughs) 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 It actually does. It does actually smell pretty good. Well, and I love the way you're talking about this, Shelly, though, because that's what I think is the secret sauce around Warlocks, too, is you have this built-in connection with the storytelling and the Dungeon Master. As you said, Michael, Like it ends up being this almost, it can be secret, but it is definitely a... Uh, a relationship that goes is very different from other character mm-hmm. classes. Yeah, it, it's totally like a, a meta game. It's like a meta game that you get to have within the game. So you're already playing the game with all these, like you know, either political forces or evil forces or good forces, whatever that is. And there's this like side mini game that you kind of have always, like you're engaged in. You're like you're contracted in literally through being just a warlock, but with also like your DM of like. Something could go down at any point just because my, you know, matron, patron or parental kind of deity says like this is happening. So it, it's wonderful. There's always kind of something to do, although mm-hmm. it doesn't, although you may not think it because like the warlock only has like cantrips and spells, like not like limited spell slots. There's always kind of still something going on. And it's really, it's really cool to how to maximize that as far as RP goes and sometimes in combat. But yeah. Yeah. I've certainly used it as plot armor or things like that as a DM to be able to be like, okay, well, this would end up in a TPK, but your patron or matron or or uh, mm-hmm. uh, does something that that alters reality and changes it, and so you get one more shot, but there's a cost. There's something like that. So yeah, exactly, and that's cool. awesome. To cool, it's cool to see because then usually the party gets involved. Like the the patron yeah. or matron just like saved your whole party. Now you're kind of all in debt to this, this you know, deity or whatever powerful being. So now the RP kind of becomes shared, and that's really cool as well. Yeah. Wow. So do dungeon masters love warlocks just because of this very reason? Do you get excited when there's a warlock in your party? Either of you? Because, Michael, you DM too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I do like uh, I do like my warlocks, and it... <laughs> It's, I mean, I usually play them. So, like, I also like playing um, the other side, <laughs> the other side of it, and really um, teasing out the relationship and, and, and trying to, um, you know, put little nuggets here or there. Or, you know, you know how there's like in, in stories or in movies, like there's that little thing that's just whispering in your ear. And it sometimes just gives you enough of a push to kind of, do something, you know, chaotic or do something a little bit to the left. And 
that's awesome when you can do that as a dungeon master where you're just you're you're kind of like the butterfly wings the butterfly effect mm. like you only say like maybe one word or like a sentence but that the chain of events that can go from there if you can foresee it is really cool to re uh interact with a player and sometimes you don't even know where they're going to go with it so they're doing their own thing and and it just creates so many amazing story moments yeah what's a what's a a really good example from play that you've had where that's all that's all kind of come to fruition um well as a player i'm on faith forge academy podcast um Mm -hmm. and i'm actually playing like a good boy wizard um (laughs) he's a celestial warlock so that's why he's like the good boy and he's a he's a teenager and so he has a matron called walena who's this uh archangel like a warrior archangel from this plane of like just these protective angels uh uh, and it's like a, I think it's a matriarchy. Uh, and it's really awesome because um, she was like, her story is she tried to save the world and she had to kind of like sacrifice her partner to do this. And then she got banished, but like it was consensual between her and her partner, but like she got banished and that's how she started becoming like a matron of warlocks because she needed to still, she still wanted to be a force for good. And she does that through contacting these people. And so um it's really cool to see how being a warlock, a good warlock and what that looks like and, and trying to um, expound on that. It's, it's, it's been a really cool journey and we've been playing for a, maybe about two years now, but it's, it's, it's way different from any other warlock thing I've done. And we're like constantly me and the DM, Steven, the bad DM, we're constantly trying to figure out how does, how do we progress as like, the the deity being a matron and my character and how do those two keep going because as well as you know we, you've talked about on dragon talk i've heard it we're like deities also have to accrue power and influence and so like with that as bessie keeps bessie my character is a warlock uh, that's that's the name as he's progressing and she gets more followers like what does that look like as we go down the line so mm. that's been really cool oh yeah because she could uh, ascend to demigodhood or perhaps yeah, you know, even full on, uh, you know, to have her own church and have clerics as well as warlocks. Yeah, which oh, would be really, really cool. interesting. Setting up a whole church in a good way, hopefully not like yeah. the churches. <laughs> many of the churches that we don't see uh, who are that great here. Uh, but I really love that setup because that ends up feeling almost like kind of like the spy genre a little bit or thriller genre where there is this other agency that's doing good that has you know maybe they shunted off of of mi6 or, or other things or i'm thinking mm-hmm. of like charlie's angels or oh yeah, yeah. thing like that where they're like okay we're doing good but we're doing it outside of the system uh and that's what i think you're uh you know you're, you're that setup for that that good celestial warlock is is doing here yeah it's it's really cool i i i personally haven't seen a lot of celestial warlocks in a bunch of content and it's kind of it's weird i'm sure there is and maybe there there's one i'm not paying attention to but it almost feels like uh I kind of have the baton and I'm, I'm trying to see how far this goes and what it ends up becoming. Cause Celestial Warlock is so cool. And, and I, it's just so different. And there's, because it's so different from everything else, the, the possibilities are kind of like endless or limitless because you're good. And so normally not, if you're a bad warlock, like usually people come and like hunt you down, but if you're like, you're a good one, you can really progress it and, and go far down the line without, getting too much of like a lot of adversaries in a sense yeah yeah i do you do you have a different 
in-world name for the class because I always think that, and maybe that's me bringing my own, you know, biases in here, but Warlock is usually associated with uh, the lower planes, right? Yeah. And so is there like a different, you know, because you're, you're treading such new water, I wonder if it is like, oh yeah, what do we call ourselves? <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't think we even got there because as far as I know, like I'm one of the, I haven't met another warlock that falls under her, her, her like umbrella. But one of our other characters who's a wizard, she, she, she hailed from that plane that she was, the Walena was exiled from. Mm. Um, but she's like a, a soldier scholar. And so the person that was originally uh, in charge of that plane, we find out later that they had like ulterior motives that probably they thought was good, but end up becoming like something that become that became kind of bad. Mm-hmm. And so that character, the wizard played by uh, oh, Adelaide on Twitter, um, she's starting to kind of be under Walena. She hasn't done any like warlocky things, but a lot of, her relationship with that plane that she used to have has changed. And now she's more connected to my matron. So that's been really cool to, you know, suss out as we go. You're forging a new agency. And yeah. <laughs> agents of Walena. I like it. It's a little, it's a little like multi-level marketing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's we're like MLM. Yep, that's it's it. totally, you're bringing in like, oh, I have a new, I want you to just, just come over and, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to buy anything. Just listen. Yeah, we go door gonna, to door. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. we'll have we'll have appetizers. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Mm, just listen to what Walena has to say. Yeah, invite four of your friends <laughs> and buy this pair of leggings. Yes. <laughs> but I don't actually think we answered Greg's original question. Oops, did I digress real hard? No, I think we all did. We all went into like a little warlock um, admiration society, but. <laughs> about about the streams that you've been mm. on or where oh. people might have uh, recognized you from. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I initially started on Encounter Roleplay um, and I was a DM there. I wanted to start off as a player because I was like forever DM which for like three years. Yeah. Um, and then, Feels like forever. Yeah. And then from that one campaign in Encounter Roleplay, I got picked up by V Crafting News. I don't know if you folks are familiar with Yeah, yeah. So we got picked up by V in, I think we did two seasons of The Last Air um, with her. And then I was with, um, I did Journey to Obsidian Spire. I forget who was the folks um, who did that, but... That's where I got to play with Christina. So that was the time, first time I got to play. And we've been following each other for a while. And so that was really cool. And then I think it was Fae Forge Academy. And then um, Let's Get Wild Mount. And then I have Into the Motherlands, which is a, you know, all POC TTRPG-led thing. And then I'm also in Second Star to the right, uh, Neverlands TTRPG. So I've... Just kind of been been going, and most of the stuff I've been fortunate are long form campaigns because I really that's what I really love doing. Yeah, I love that's that amazing. too. That's hard to resume. Yeah, that it was Brett. You just you know that's what six or seven different long form campaigns that you've been yeah. a part of, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know many people listening to here be like, oh man, I wish I had that. I wish I had you know that that kind of awesome network of being able to go in and do not even just you know being streams, but just having so many 
long-form campaigns. I think that is the the ideal for a lot of D&D fans out there. So kudos to you for, for living that dream. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. I I don't know. I think first and foremost, the thing that I focus on more than, any, more than anything is the cast and the DM. And so, you know, getting a game is cool and doing one shots with people are cool, but I really want to always work with people who I, like, I jive with. And that's like the thing that I'm most concerned with and people who are just wholesome, great people. And then from there, uh, you know, and then some of it's luck, like some of it has just fell into my lap. Uh, so I just been fortunate and I, I've, I've been loving it and, and trying to be grateful all the time about the position I'm in. I think that's really interesting because, you know, many people talk about how the streaming has helped and changed this hobby so that more people are able to, you know, making it more accessible uh, mm-hmm. to, to folks. Uh, but I think, and I've said this a couple of times, but I'm going to get your opinion on it here too. Like, I think what it's done more than anything else is allowed people to realize that there is an ideal table out there for them. Uh, and that it's not necessarily the first experience you have mm-hmm. with playing Dungeons and Dragons is is all of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because like, I think that used to happen in the 80s and 90s when there wasn't this amount of content uh, to be able to consume before you played where mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, I go to a game store and I might have a negative experience or or it might not jive with what you're, you know, you may not, not jive with those people as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then bounce off the game altogether, be like, oh, I don't like D&D because I didn't have that one first good experience. But this has allowed people to be like, okay, there is an ideal out there for, mm-hmm. for, for the individual and then to try to find it through different iterations and realizing yeah. that there's something out there. Do you, do you think there's any truth to that? Yeah, I mean, like, I also, maybe I've, I've kind of... Uh, remove the memories of being at some tables that weren't as great. So, you know, and that does happen, but, uh, you know, I, I stay there for three to five sessions, see how it like actually goes out. Cause normally like you just get a feel for people. And then I'm like, all right, I'm good on this. I'm going to go try and find something else. And that was my experience when I first started, uh, trying to be a player. And then, um, eventually I just found the, the table I need to be at. And yeah, so there's a, there's a table for everyone. And I think, uh, if you can't find that table, you know it's it's unfortunate, but maybe you have to create that that opportunity to be that table. And then, um, and I've seen it like I've created that table, and then you see sometimes your players end up becoming DMs as well, and they get to DM you, or they spread off and go DM other people, and then there's kind of like a chain of like multi level marketing. Yeah, multi-level. That's what the idea is, you know. Just tell your tell your friends and family. No, it's not. Um, I think we're creating a new class here. Yeah, a subclass for yeah, sure. Yeah, right. But yeah, you, you can you can easily through D and D like cur- kind of create what you want to see at other tables by just bringing that kind of energy and focus and vibe to the table, and people will pick up on that and offshoot from there, and it's it's cool to see. I think it's like that's it's that's such a huge part of D and D for me for everyone. You know, we've talked to people who had bad experiences uh, their first time and and thought, well, this game isn't for me. Without realizing that no, the game is the game. It's it's the relationships that make the game really special. Mm-hmm. And then you know, years later, I've tried it again and had a different experience with it. But what are you so? In all of your experiences, and especially with these long-term campaigns, and especially with you know when you commit to to joining a group that's going to be on a stream, like you you don't really get to like nope out in the middle of it. True. So <laughs> true. How, what do you do to like you know make those connections 
strong from the beginning or like what what sort of advice because you, you won't know everyone and no. the, and a lot of especially as you're you know becoming more well known in the community and you're getting cast in more streams with people that you've probably seen how they play and mm-hmm. know and, and know a little bit you know through social media and stuff but there's always a chance that people are different yeah when you uh, play with them so how do you how do you mitigate or just try fostering relationships so, early on this is uh, hopefully i can be real quick and concise about it it's a lot of front load work is what i do i do a lot of front load work of like not that i try and seek out people to build relationships with that's not kind of how it goes i like organically meet people and then there's people who i like really have a connection with or i know that they're a very kind vulnerable caring soul and i just want to keep connecting with people but i always tell people like the best perks of this job that I can ever get is making like, you know, just coming out even, but always able to meet wonderful people. And that's all I really care about. And so I do a lot of front end work, meaning like I try and make sure that the people I want to play games with, I, I maintain these connections and maybe an opportunity will come up because I know that this person probably wants other people who are like us to be at the table. And so that's kind of how I've always focused on, on trying to find tables that have for the past two years or two, three years, I've been able to always find a table where there wasn't any conflict or drama or you know, a lot of interpersonal uh, things happening at the table because I did a lot of the work at the front end. Do I suggest that for everyone? No, like not everyone has the spoons or the the bandwidth for that, but I kind of would rather do that than having to ex- keep accepting everything left and right and then you know running into like roadblocks as, as the season progresses or something like that, so... That's kind of what I do. I front, I front load it all. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. I, I mean, it's similar to the concept behind a session zero, right? Where you're getting mm-hmm. a lot of that work done before you even, you know, quote unquote, start playing. Right? You're 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 building those groups. You're setting the boundaries. You're understanding how uh, interpersonal connections may or may not be made. And you know, I think that's a that's that's the best point where you're like, mm, maybe this doesn't work. You know, because mm-hmm. there might be some uh, uh, potential conflict between. Folks, yeah. and you're like, all right, well, better to suss that out now than session, you know, 42 when something goes wrong. Yeah, and you don't have to always jive with every table. It might not be for drama or whatever reason. It's just like your play style is vastly different from my play style. Yes. We want to, you know, go from village to village and bash skulls in, and I kind of want to, you know, have this flirtatious <laughs> thing with my matron warlock or whatever. And that, you know, <laughs> those are two different things uh, sometimes, and you can't meet in the middle, and that's fine. Like you, and sometimes you just help that person find the table they need to be at, and you you continue on yours. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's totally the way I've been going about it. Sounds a lot like life. <laughs> yes, that's good life skills. I will tell you this, Michael, because you're also a magic player. Um, yes. But there was this one time my beautiful D and D group where you know all like it was it was at at work, <clears throat> and we were you know we're all on the D and D team, and we all love D and D, and a magic player came. <laughs> I think, like, I don't know if this was, like, it was a long time ago, sure. and I don't know if this person was, like, their boss was, like, you need to learn how to play D&D or something. Oh, like, go boy. find a group or something. Oh, I could see that conversation for and sure. And so this person was, like, joined our group, came in with, like, guns a-blazing and was, like, ordering us around and, like, being super bossy and competitive and um, just, like, wasn't. Like none of us were happy about this, and this yeah. is a person that like 
I love this person sure. as a person. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like we have great conversations in the kitchen while we're waiting for our lunches to heat up, you know. But mm-hmm. as a D&D player, we were like, no. Like we all had conversations with our dungeon master after like, we can't. We can't continue this. <laughs> it's too much. You got to kill him. Like, yeah, he has no. to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, He's something. DR, no. What do I we do? I, well, I, <laughs> the only story I really have, like a big one, is like I was a DM for this Irvine campaign in, in or Irvine, California. I just like put a whole bunch of letters out on campus and then got Aww. people to come together. And it actually really worked out, except this one person who will not be named, but they're more like a more STEM focus. They're in a more STEM focus field and they really brought that. And like, we're really trying to min-max everything. And mm-hmm. it, I would like to say, and I could be wrong, but it's been my experience that it takes a really uh, unique and like special individual of some sorts to be able to be really good at playing D and D and to be really good at playing magic both at the same time, because I think they use different skill sets. They, and, and sometimes they, they kind of, it's nice cause they kind of bleed over to each other. But I think um, if you're, if you're going from one community to the other, I think obviously like the best thing you'd ever do is just be open and be, you know, adaptable to change and, and X, Y, Z. But I think people who play both at a very high level, um, it takes, it, it takes a definitely more of a unique skill set to be able to kind of function in both, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, as for magic players, like, uh, you know, if you have them at your session zero, just be like, listen, there's a lot of RP here. We're not going to min max everything. <laughs> like have some fun, like, you know, do the goofy thing that you kind of want to do or, you know, but make sure it's okay with the table. It's like, we're, we're, we're playing, we're all in this together. And it's not just like you're com- It's not a, it's not a war zone. We're not commanding everyone all the time yes. because there's RP happening. You know, we're, we're at the King's court. We're not fighting the King. We got to talk to him. There's guards everywhere. So, you know, those are things that you have to approach in your session zero of, of figuring out what everyone's play style is and if it's yeah. malleable. And I love, yeah. I mean, that's certainly a, a type of magic player that you're describing, uh, yeah. Shelly. Like, but yes. there are, I love that more and more uh, people who play magic now are playing, you know, different formats. We've talked yep. about Commander and how that feels much more like, you know, four people getting together and RPing a battle, not necessarily making sure that each interaction of each card is used to their, you know, utmost advantage to destroy the other mm-hmm. player. Like, you almost. I think I've you know I've been following some folks on uh, uh, um, Twitter like uh, Siobhan Blatt and stuff who, who oh, yeah. talk about the commander format and how like yes you can win on turn two in commander but that's not fun you don't want to no. do that because it's all about the interactions and the best sometimes commander matches can go on for hours so uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before but can, for an overview for folks who may not know about how that whole format works. Um, because there is uh, some D and D crossover cards yes, coming out very soon. They are. Very, very fun. Very cool looking cards. Uh, the Baldur's Gate, uh, you know, cards coming out soon. But yeah, um, and and I find that before I get onto this, like I find that commander players are actually really good at D and D because mm-hmm. even though you're you're trying to kill each other in the table, there's still like session zeros now in 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 uh, Magic the Gathering for Commander. And oh really? Also, oh, yeah, that's they're, awesome. they're starting. They're, they're saying rule zero. It's not session zero. It's rule zero for them. Mm. Um, but they've kind of adapted that, I think, a little bit. And people have a goal in mind of like, what kind of fun do you want to have? Um, and with that, I can explain the Commander format. So Commander format, really cool. Um, 
you have a hundred cards, 99 is like your main deck. One card is your, your commander. It's a special legend card and you can kind of repeat and play this commander. If it dies, you have to pay a tax so you can keep playing it, but it's really fun. You have four people at the table. You're all trying, you all start at 40 life. You're trying to like kill each other, but there's a lot of politics that happen. Sometimes people play, really strong decks that like everyone's just trying to get each other. Uh, sometimes people play really casual decks like, Hey, I have an all unicorn or hippo deck and I want <laughs> to, you know, just have a blast and see how far this hippo deck can go. And then that's totally acceptable. Um, and so it's a really fun format. Uh, and it's the, it's the best for, it's the, it's the most popular format in magic currently. And um it's just a blast. Uh, it's 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 light, casual fun, and like you said, it can last for a couple hours. It could be short, um, but everyone's everyone has a um, everyone gets to play, and that's kind of cool about it. Right, it's much more of a, a cooperative storytelling battle mechanic than it is a uh, yeah. Again, I want to try and win as as quickly as possible. Right. Uh, yeah. Not a lot it, of tables are. I need to win as quick as possible. Uh, and there are those for sure, but a lot of times people are just trying to have some fun. Yeah, it reminds me of that feeling of you know playing Magic in like 1993 with my buddy <laughs> while Green Day's Dookie was playing in the background, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it was just a, like oh I want to see if I can get this card out, or I want to see if if uh, you know this mm-hmm. this I can get all Sarah Angels out to attack or something like that, right? Like it's yep, it, it's that fun of just interacting with the cards and uh, uh, exploring new avenues for play. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's cool. It's definitely it, it as as much as it is a puzzle, it also lends itself to a lot of creativity and fun and expression because there's so many cards, so many decks, uh, so many different styles of play, and, and everyone gets to kind of show that. It's good. Have you played any of the, or at least you know, thumbed through the books of? Uh, going the other way, where where the great world building and storytelling that goes on behind the scenes in the Magic Plains are now on in D anD D, right? We've got you know, yes. like Theros and Ravnica, and then Strixhaven this mm-hmm. fall. So i I've had uh, I've did a one shot with Jasper's Game Day, wonderful organization, um, and I did the Theros. Uh, I, I brought some Theros uh, material over, and I got to bring like these big, gigantic um, titans. You know, like titans from Greek mythology. They have those type of titans in Theros. And I homebrewed some of it, but I I got to use some of the abilities that the cards had, but shift them over to magic, or sorry, shift them over to D&D. Mm. And it was really cool. A lot of people who watched that stream were like, oh, that's really cool how you how you manipulated uh, how the cards look, for, but use it for D&D. Uh, and that was a really cool creative uh, process. And I, it's something that I would revisit again. I've used different stuff. Um, like I've had planeswalkers. Sometimes, if I need to move a story forward in like a homebrew game or like a one shot or like a long form campaign, planeswalkers are actually super great for this. Like, mm. you know, um, if you don't know planeswalkers, they're people in they're like uh, very powerful individuals in the magic universe who can essentially plane shift or I think that's or teleportation circles, things like that. They can do that between planes. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, you are a planeswalker. You have to acquire a thing called a spark, which is to activate. But 
other than that, what's cool about them is they're well-known people in the magic community uh, and, and, st- and forms a lore. And you can always say like, oh, a planeswalker shows up, they need your help, or they want to help you with your mission or quest. And so it's really cool. And it doesn't really break a lot of things because they're already established in a different sort of lore. So people are a bit more acceptable than a, a deus ex machina type of like, you know, a dragon poofs out of nowhere and says, hey, you need to help me. But like a planeswalker poofing out of nowhere and saying, you need to help me is for some reason, more credible and people are much more happy to engage with that. Okay. And D&D's got, you know, its own, for, they were not called Planeswalkers, but you could say that, you know, Morden Kanan Morden, and, yep, that was, and, yep. and mm-hmm. Tasha, like, you know, probably fall under that category of those being able to uh, shift between the worlds as as Ed Greenwood is probably able to do and to go to different areas as well of, mm-hmm. of, the, <laughs> of both multiverses. <laughs> exactly. We we should you should just mix them all together. Like that'd be actually that's a great idea. I'm gonna have more than yep. Kanan speak to like a magic planeswalker and have them work on things, and that'd be kind of cool. And then have Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man show up as well. You know, I was gonna say, say just watch could, that this weekend. Yep. You could just throw in Doctor Strange in there because I mean, come on, <laughs> Why not? that's just that fits. It fits. Just throw. also w- nobody told me that there was a D D reference in that movie. Ah, yes, there was. That was great. That was it wonderful. Was. That was so funny. <laughs> that, yeah. I had forgotten that, honestly. Yeah. It was like early on, right? Was it early on in the movie? Yeah, it was like during the... It was one of the you, villains. Yeah, mm. it was during the... What do you call that? This is always the story thing and the lead up to the climax. It was like during the build-up progression stage where there's like a villain saying like, is that some D&D stuff or whatever? Yeah. I think that's what it was. Um, and that was really funny. That was very funny. Um. Well, now I want to create a new um, D&D format. Like, mm. um, and now if for a Dungeons & Dragons player that maybe wants something more competitive, um, what about like if the Dungeon Master was your enemy? Player versus Dungeon Master. That is a really great concept. Uh, I, I've kind of like thought about that in the sense of... Um, yeah, I've kind of thought about that in a sense of like there's this thing in Magic called Arch Enemy where like one person mm-hmm. has more buffs and strong than the other people. And like you can kind of do the same thing with like a DM of like the DM's like just kind of like this big bad and you're you're able to collect things as you go along. But then at some point you face the DM and the DM is just like a lot more powerful and depending if you were able to acquire the, the certain power-ups to get to him, uh, you, can, mm-hmm. you can kind of battle that way and that would be really cool. I mean, there are people who play it exactly that way, mm-hmm. Shelly. Right? Where there are know. the you know the more competitive people are like you're trying to beat me and I'm trying to beat you mm-hmm. as much. Yeah, as but possible. I, I mean, I feel like that's not intentional. Like that's just more of like a, I I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like like a misconception almost. Like I don't feel like I guess some dungeon masters are mm-hmm. trying adversarial, to, adversarial, and yeah. some players are probably more. A, a believing that the dungeon master is out to get them, but but I I think to codify old, it would be different. yeah I don't think it has to be that all the all the time I think there were some streams I think years a couple of years ago they might still be doing it like you had the big bad of the week like the flavored boss of the week and so you can do that where you're like the dungeon master and like you're controlling like primarily as boss and the adventurers need to kind of get to a place where they they're strong enough to face you but I think that's probably the way you would do that. With D and D is like more of the the big bad flavor of the week kind of thing. Oh yeah, almost do it like episodic in a way, mm-hmm. right? Where yeah, 
Monster of the Week. It's an old uh, <laughs> X-Files way to describe old X-Files stuff. But yeah, you got to beat them. Yeah. See if you can pull out all the stops and do it. But yeah. I also like the nature of it being a meta character too, where the DM is Morden Kanan or yeah, is exactly. someone who is, you know, embodying this this more in a multiverse type of way of being like you're you're trapped in this extra dimensional space and you have to try to get out by defeating this big big bad every episode. That's interesting. I like that. That's yeah. it's, it's really cool. Cause then you can like, you know how you have Dungeons and the Mad Mage, but like you're oh, that one was like it was almost like a different kind of plain not really but like a different sort of flavor going on each level and i don't think there's necessarily a big bad on every level but that's kind of like you could probably pull from uh the uh dungeon of mad mage and kind of twist and alter it to the have like certain dnd big bads and progress through levels like that like yeah we can mash up quantum leap too so it ends up being like you're going <laughs> back to different periods of time and have oh. to change something Sometimes by defeating a big bad, but maybe it's sometimes it's, you know, finding a key or, you know, rescuing someone or stopping some small insignificant butterfly from being stepped on by Ashton Kutcher. Uh, it's the only way you can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta stop Ashton Kutcher. That's the <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is, that's the big that's, bad. That's everyone's goal, really. Mm-hmm. Gotta stop him. <laughs> Don't okay. get punked. Stop him. <laughs> Don't get punked. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, so you you alluded to this earlier, and I wanted to kind of delve in a little bit, because when we were talking about the Matron uh, and the whole Warlock thing, we were caught up all in the, in the storytelling of that. But there's also uh, that flirtatious yes, relationship yes. there. Romance. And that's mm-hmm. a, a part of uh, role-playing that I have not delved in too much, right? Because it ends up... Um, you know, you have to have a lot of trust if you're going to yes. be doing something oh, yeah. like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, talk, talk a little bit about how that's come to be and 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 how you're you're enjoying it. Yeah, um, so I haven't engaged in that in a while, just because the stuff I've been doing has not required it. But uh, early on, when I was playing D anD D, and then in um, the last air with a cast member I'm still a cast member with in Forge now, uh, Kai Stonefly, we had like our characters kind of have like a, a relationship and um it was good it was awesome to see because it's also another thing that you can progress through a campaign and it's cool to see how where it shapes up um but the thing that you always have to check in is check in with your party check in with your dm check in every session like it's work like if you want to have that kind of experience in dnd just realize like any relationship weird uh, is going to require <laughs> some work. And so the more work you do, the, probably the better it'll end up becoming. And you have to have communication just like a real relationship. But um, there's like a lot of cool things that, that becomes takeaways. It, it, you're more bought into the campaign in some senses because their stakes are higher. You have higher stakes because it's like, you know, you and this other character and you're trying to figure it out and make sure you both survive or like, get the quest done. And so um, it's really rewarding, um, but you also have to make sure that you come to it with a good level of respect and, um, and being open if you're, if you choose to do that. But I think it's really rewarding if you are able to ever go that route and someone else is open to it. The way you're describing that, it reminds me of uh, how in uh, cinema or TV, when there is an intimate scene, that's you know being shot 
it does require a lot of work, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And not, not just between the two performers, but to make sure everyone feels safe on set. Mm -hmm. And there's all these, uh, you know, important uh, guidelines and, you know, uh, union rules and things about how things are done in order to create the illusion of what we eventually see as audience members that these two people are, are making love or having a romantic scene. And it, the way you're describing is like all that work needs to be done extra as well, right? It's yeah. not. It's not just like a oh, let's just show up to a session and mm -hmm. uh, and start throwing you know out flirtatious quotes. You have to yep. you have to make sure that everyone in the room is just as comfortable with what's happening and is aware and can then with that safety net. You know, once those lines and veils are all kind of very clearly de delineated. Mm -hmm. You can have magic. Magic can happen between those two, you know, relationships yep. happening, right? Yeah, and whatever that looks like for people, for sure. Like, yeah, it, um, I think if you want to do that at your own home table, obviously check in. But especially as a stream game, because you oh, really yeah. have to. Because I've done that with a stream game, you really have to be on the ball, um, and it it requires. I think it requires a, a, a one of the higher levels of improv to do because you're constantly monitoring like yourself you're monitoring the person you're in the scene with you're monitoring the party the dm and you're also if you're you know if you can have the spoons for it monitor chat like because you want to make sure that like everyone's kind of okay and everything's going well and if you're doing it right it probably is going to end up you know a, a nice little story moment and things are going to happen uh like you can just have a, like a little date or like a cute scene where you finally hug each other like whatever that may entail like it, it's really awesome and, and it really fulfilling, but you also have to, like I said, you just have to be on the ball. You have to, you have to be really uh, adaptable and, and have your improv chops there because you want to make sure if something kind of takes a left turn, you want to bring that back and maybe step back a little and, mm -hmm. and let it kind of air out and, or, or let the scene like transition to some, something else or kind of let it, let it go. And that's fine. So it, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of nuance to it, but if you're able to do it, I definitely recommend. I think I think there's you know I've been watching a lot of Bridgerton uh, lately. The Ooh, second yeah. season of Bridgerton just came on, which uh, is so good at doing that slow build of, mm -hmm. of romance, right? Where you know maybe even from you know from the jump that these two characters have a connection, whether that be adversarial at first, and then it becomes something different, and so. I mean, I, I just love that idea of trying to build that uh, that relationship slowly over you know twenty yeah. sessions, thirty sessions, and so then when it does finally end up uh, occurring or not, there is that that dramatic moment because you've got you know twenty sessions of history behind mm -hmm. you. And and on this, like I should say, uh, although I'm saying all these traits you should be, there's a lot of um, different source material out there if you Google it. Or I was on a uh, panel on YouTube called Romance. Uh, R O L L Mance. Uh, <laughs> I think we did two different. We did one uh, episode, and then a year later we did another one. But if you're so, if you're interested in it, that's a good leaping point. And a lot of the panelists there, um, I only came with my own personal experience of being like a life coach, relationship coach, and, and you know going to relationship stuff uh, of figuring out how to do this. But if you don't have those tools, that's a good source for you if you want to start figuring out how to go about it uh, in the first place. Wait, are you really a life slash relationship coach? Uh, I, I'm not active with that anymore, but it, like you never really drop it. You're just always like, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Uh, 
when I was a teenager, I started as a te- in teen trading at the age of like 15. And then I did that for two years because I, I took the class, went back and coached. And then I was coaching adults at 17 years old because they took me early because they're like, you're wow. mature, you should come. And I was like, looking back at it as a 17 year old, I should probably not be coaching adults, but I did. And it was successful and people liked it. So it's. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I do. How feel old like, were the people that? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, like adult wise. Like, how how are we I, talking? Like anywhere from eighteen to like sixty five. Like you know, wow. like the, the whole spectrum. Yeah. Oh my god! Did you try to like wear a fake mustache and a tie? No. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I definitely wore button ups. Doctor Sinclair. <laughs> oh, please take a seat. <laughs> uh, I feel like you know a. Like dungeon masters are essentially like life relationship coaches yeah. in a lot of ways. Like there's got to be looking, you know, at your, were you playing D&D back when you were 17? No, I, I did not start playing uh, D&D until like most people, but not like most people uh, watching Critical Role in, in 2015. I think it was 2015 when they started on Geek and Sundry. I was already mm-hmm. watching that Twitch and like I was the... F- one of the first viewers there who were like, there's like 12 viewers and I was one of them. Oh, and wow. I've just been watching them since then. So that's how I got started. I didn't start D&D early on. I started on my last deployment in the military. Uh, and that's, I've just been doing it since then. Yeah, I feel like now there's probably a lot of similarities in like, you know, teaching someone how to be a good dungeon master versus teaching someone, you know, like positive life and relationship mm-hmm. skills there's a lot of crossover there i imagine yeah i i that's another dm cell i try and like facilitate if people are okay with that um and usually it happens organically where like you know maybe someone's working through something and they kind of bring it to the table and you know if i have the spoons for it like maybe i'll i'll use that in story and we'll make something and they can maybe find some sort of catharsis or find some sort of meaning in the game and they can take they can take something from the game and, and take it into their real life. And that's like, I, I have a lot of pleasure uh, and a lot of fulfillment doing that for people. It's one of my favorite ways to DM. And I, you know, sometimes I, I, I ask my players and my sessions, I was like, do you want to bring anything to the table? Like, that's fine. I have the spoons for that. And what is it? And, and then I also check in with the rest of the party. Like, are you folks okay if we do this in game and, and have like these scenarios pop up? But yeah, I think it's, it's one of the best, one of the best ways to like dungeon master for me. I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. You mean like cool. have a scenario pop up, like something that the player is hoping to like work through? Or... Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm aware of what spoon theory is, but I just want to make sure since you mentioned it a couple times. And yeah, sorry. What, what, yeah, for for folks who who are listening who may not understand that, I think you know bandwidth is a kind of a uh, another yes. term for it. But yeah, mm-hmm. so spoons bandwidth, like Greg Tito said, uh, you know, do you have the emotional wherewithal? Do you have you know the space? Can do you have like the time and energy um, to be able to? hold a space for someone or create a um, create a scenario where you can actually have them face something uh, and then you can take care of them afterwards while not, mm. you know, gassing yourself or without devoting too much of yourself. Spoons is just kind of a, a meaning of, yeah, I, I have the time for you or I have the time for that or I have the emotional capability for that. Okay. And, and that changes day to day, right? Like you go, yeah. oh, today yeah. I feel like I've got five spoons and those are all devoted to 
you know, going to the doctor today, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or other days you'd be like, oh, I feel good. I have 10 spoons. I have a couple more to give out to people uh, yeah. to, to help them with their days. Exactly. So, yep, that's the spoons clarification. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that as a shorthand uh, because it does encapsulate uh, so much. You know, I like the even just the, the, the term of using spoons because those are, are tools that we use to feed ourselves uh, mm-hmm. uh, or others. And that, yeah. you know, so it's, it's the, just a great metaphor. Yeah. Good band as well. Spoon. Hello? Any Spoon fans? Oh, I was like, <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Hello, I, hello? Not knowledgeable, but I believe I'll, it's probably good. Sing us a few bars, Shelly. <laughs> I'll spare you. No, Shelly does not. I've listened to a lot of Dragon Talk. Shelly does not sing. Right? <laughs> I know this. I don't. I come, I dance around it. I want to, but I won't do it. This show would get pulled off the air immediately. <laughs> yeah. By Hall of Notes, they'd be like, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to me. sing our songs yes, anymore. We have asked you very politely several times. I see a Watsy man behind <laughs> Shelly just going, like, waving the finger no. Uh, yeah. Got it! Got it! <laughs> yeah. Cut the feed. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, you man. mentioned being in the military. You were in the Navy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I was a Navy corpsman. Um, so from 2009 to 2017. Um, oh. And so, yeah, I was a, a, if you don't know what a corpsman is, it's a medic because that doesn't quite, you know, corpsman doesn't mean much to anyone. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's what the Navy medics are called. And some corpsmen who are listening may be offended that I'm calling you medics, but it's fine. We, we need to tell the general populace what we do. Um, and so like corpsmen are, are, are people who, our medics essentially right for the Navy, but also the Marines. And we were called corpsmen because we helped the people in the Marine Corps because they don't have their own medics. They never have. They've always had this like relationship with the Navy of like, we're taking your medics and you're going to come with the Marines and do badass things and help save us. And we were like, sure. We'll do it. So the Marines yeah. are like magic players and they, <laughs> the Navy is like D&D players. Yeah, sure. That's a, actually, that's actually kind of pretty good. That's actually a pretty good you know, analogy. Uh, I'll, I'll accept that for sure. <laughs> wow. So you're not drawn to playing clerics. Is that, uh, is there a reason for that? You're just like, played, I'm done. I'm done I've helping people. Played one cleric and let's get wild Mountain with critical bard, uh, on his show. Nice. Um, but it was, you know, Matthew Mercer's blood cleric, um, because you know, I'm a warlocky dark, I'm a dark woo boy. And, uh, I just like, you know, kind of playing in that shade. And so if I'm going to play a cleric, I gotta be like, you know, Dark cleric, oh, so moody. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I played a blood cleric, and that was that was fine. But yeah, generally, I stay away from being cleric because I did eight years of that for yeah, you know, in real life, young right. men, and, and trying to you know when you're when you're a corpsman, they don't tell you you're already a life coach, and most people, most corpsmen, some corpsmen, not I shouldn't say most, some corpsmen aren't ready to fulfill that, and some yeah. some people actually step into the role. But a lot of the times, you're Marines no matter how old they are or how senior rank they are, they look to you for guidance with life things. And you're like, uh, I'm just supposed to cure you of physical things, but I guess I can do mental and emotional things too. <laughs> Have you been watching any of uh, Star Trek Discovery? I watched the first season. Okay. The, in the current season, that role of doctor and counselor are now uh, held by one person. And I kind of love oh. that that kind of combination because of what you're talking about because you know that yeah. doctor is often the one who is there at people's most uh you know dramatic mm-hmm. and 
uh, traumatic moments. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're the ones who are, and I, and I just love that dichotomy. And what you're describing seems like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The, on the Navy, in Starfleet, you need to have yep. someone who can, who can fulfill life coach and, uh, you know, just be, I mean, just being a sounding bar uh, for people. Mm-hmm. Just like a dungeon master. Just like a dungeon it master. All comes it back all comes back. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Oh, and that's how I started as a corpsman, uh, right, playing D&D in uh, Japan and Okinawa. And I was just like, I'm going to get some Marines together and be their dungeon master. And exactly like your reference, like <laughs> I'm the dungeon master who's on the corpsman and the players are, are the Marines. And that's that's how it went. And you've helped them grow and be yeah. adults. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Them, yes, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Aww. Well, well amazing. Right. I, I feel uh, like we're, we're, we're all learning from you, Michael. So thank you for, for being thank here you. and sharing a lot of this wisdom, uh, even though you're not a cleric at heart, but showing the wisdom uh, that you have. He is a cleric at heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. to, to everybody, you know, and I, I've, I've heard nothing but wonderful uh, things about your, uh, uh, you know, characters that you play as well as uh, you, how you comport yourself throughout all this, you know, wonderful D and D community, and so it, 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 you know, it's a blessing to have you. Oh, thank you. It's a blessing to be here. I've been, you know, like I said, a fan of the show for so long. And uh, <laughs> shout out to Christina because back when you, I think it was twenty seventeen, when y'all had her on the show, I was like, I wanted like she was, you know, she's she another black person, a black lady on the show. I was like, what they do? Like, I want to be on there. Like, I want to do that one day. Like, it was like a wild dream at that one point. Like, being here is. It's so cool and obviously working with Christine at some point. So it's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm just so happy that uh, you know, I'm 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 with y'all today. Us too. Ho- hopefully you are still a fan of the show Not as cool as you thought it was. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm still a fan for sure. <laughs> well, we are big fans of of yours, even bigger now that we got a chance to talk to you. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. So where can people find out about all the the, the stuff you're doing? Uh, hopefully, yes. uh, you know, watch uh, along with 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 mm-hmm. them all. Yeah, uh, I, I forgot to mention tabletop talks with uh, Black Need or Joe Johnson, who's on the or he's been on the Orville and some uh, a national uh, what do you, the football big Super Bowl Super Bowl. He was in the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> been working with him, but you know, uh, oh, that's awesome. That's another place you can catch me play both. D&D and MTG, because we talked about that today, and he's doing some wonderful folks, uh, wonderful things, including inclusive folks and stuff like that. So that's one place if you want to see something super recent and like kind of, we had B-Dave and, and Becca on there. Um, but you can find me in general on uh, Twitter at Michael Critz and on Twitch at Michael Critz. I have both of those. Um, and then I'm on Forge Academy podcast. The episodes drops every Friday. We've been Steven, or we, have been doing that uh, every week, every Friday. He's been dropping an episode. He's, he's diligent about that. Um, and then I'm in uh, I'm in uh, Let's Get Wild Mount, which we're in hiatus right now. Um, but there's VODs on YouTube, and we're trying to figure out if we're having some seasons. It's looking good, but uh, we're trying to see if we're going to have some more seasons come up. And then I'm in uh, Second Start to the Right, which is a Neverland TTRPG or D&D TTRPG uh, based uh, yeah, in Neverland. So that's all the places I'm doing things and various. If you just look up like Michael Kratz, Magic the Gathering or Michael Kratz Commander, uh, you will find a whole bunch of that content as well. That's amazing. That's a wonderful long list. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I love no, it. No, great. I'd love it. 
it just means again that you've got uh, you know so many great content streams going. Uh, I think fulfilling different parts of your of your brain there. So that's mm-hmm. that's that's good for everybody out there. I like I stay it. Busy. Yeah. Right. We've we've all had to do that over the last couple of years, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, sure. All right, so I think me and Shelly are going to uh, schedule a live coaching session with you. Uh, Got it. And yep. uh, we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do the re- relationship ones too. How to flirt with your matron, patron, parental deity as well, if you want. I'll throw that in there for free. You know, it's, yeah. I, I have to MLL them. As long as you tell two other friends, oh, yes. <laughs> we're good. We'll bring, <laughs> we'll bring our... You took me as an interview, uh, just to tell two other friends. I really want to get that blender. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get to that third level. The pink level. Cadillac. It's going to Oh, my come. God. The, again, like as you level up, you get, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the better appliances. I know, right. Well, we'll bring our spouses <laughs> along, and I think that would uh, certainly help out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need yeah. to know how to flirt a little bit better, I think. Ooh, okay. okay. I won't <laughs> tell. I won't tell. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thank you so fun. much, Michael. Uh, thank you for having me. I am, uh, yeah, I feel like we only scratched the surface, so there, there's more to talk about in the future. We'll, we'll I'll come back on. Come back. I'll come back. Oh, (laughs) we'll make it happen. Open invitation. What a wonderful conversation with Michael. Uh, I just, I just love, you know, his vibe, his whole thing. The whole thing. Well, we should have known he was helping people, adults with their life skills at the ripe old age of 17. He's kind of a savant in that field. Can you imagine being 17 years old and being like, here's what you got to do? I can't imagine being 17 and like actually caring enough to like want to help an adult. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. Uh, but that's just uh, the amazing person that he is. And I yes. love that, uh, you know, he's not necessarily that when he role plays too. He likes being the the, the dark characters yes. uh, as well as the celestial warlocks and playing with tropes. So I think that's super fun. I Yeah, I think you, it's good to have that, that outlet, you know, that D&D will provide you. A lot to learn. Here in this game about yourself and the other people around you. Yes. Right? Yes. So you can learn about all those people around you playing Dungeons & Dragons by going to all of our areas of social media presence, Mm -hmm. including Twitter at wizards underscore D&D. Also there on the YouTube and Instagram. Join our Discord where you can find, hopefully, like-minded individuals to play Dungeons & Dragons with you on a regular basis. Or pop down uh, the local store now that more people are playing in person. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw some people playing at our local store um, yeah. this past weekend. You go to Meeple's? Mm-hmm. I was also I Meeple's. actually was at Meeple's and The Missing Piece, our other <gasps> game Have store. you been? Is it a good? I've driven by mm-hmm. that. I mean, like, I, want, I need to stop in there. It's great. They give really good game recommendations. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. a nice space. Always great to see new game stores popping up uh, that are using this model of being a community hub, uh, which is fantastic. I know. It's just really heartening to walk in somewhere and just see people playing games together. It's just yeah. a nice feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people um, of all so ages. Check out some of those places if you're in the Seattle area uh, uh, <laughs> where we mentioned as well as in your local area. Lots of them uh, are, are needing your support. Pick up, if you can, uh, all of your D&D books through them. Uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel has a wonderful alt cover available through game stores, as we said. So check that out and see if you can do it. I am able to be followed. I'm at Greg Tito <laughs> on uh, Twitter, underscore Tito on Instagram. 
And I am in a, or I produce a uh, Star Trek podcast called Re-Engage TNG, where you can follow us on Twitter there or uh, watch Star Trek The Next Generation along with us and listen to all the fun episodes. I love that idea. Uh, I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. So just, yeah, hang out, follow me. Let's chat. Show me pictures of your dogs. Things will be happening if you show pictures of the dogs. It's the perfect way to break the ice. (laughs) I like to see pictures of dogs, and I like to see dice collections as well. Mm. Yeah, I like pretty dice. Bonus points, put them together. D&D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, what's going on with Drunky Two-Shoes? Well... She is in the middle of a fight in the city of Waterdeep. A doppelganger, which you've been fighting and, and had some information that they were trying to infiltrate society. It seems like they have abandoned that plan and are going for full-on destruction of the city. A gargantuan, very large doppelganger in its true form is rampaging through the city in your proximity. Both Daryl and Samson are involved in fighting with it. Samson was just thrown down on top of a building and then the cavalry in the form of griffin riders, eight of them came from the castle ward to potentially contend against this menace. And Drunky Tissues jumped on the back of a griffin ridden by a gnome wizard who was uh, met by you uh, just a few moments ago. Yep, and we're already fast friends. Uh, and he says, all right, hold on tight, we're going up. And uh, you kind of feel that uh, feeling in your stomach when you when you change altitude really fast as the griffin leaps up into the air and uh, beats its wings, and you feel like the of uh, the the huge feathered wings uh, getting some lift underneath you. And the gnome has got the reins and is holding on uh, tightly and says, "All right, let's concentrate fire on its eyes." That's exactly what I was thinking too. All right, uh, use your powerful spells. Fi- well, I'd like to, but I'm out of spell slots, and we haven't had a long rest in a really long time. So I am just down to my at-will spells. Sorry, dude. Uh, he says, all right, well, that's when we come prepared <laughs> when you're in the, the guild, which you should totally join. Um, and he says, uh, here, and he, he pulls out uh, his cloak behind him, and you're behind him so you can kind of see. He's got a belt, and in that belt is... Th- Four holsters, and in each of those kind of holsters is a thin wooden rod, which looks like a wand. And he's like, wow. "Grab the third one." Okay, that's the fireball. Aim oh for my. the eyes. Are you kidding me right now? I get to cast a fireball. Do it quickly. Bam! <laughs> All right, so yeah, you grab that uh, wand, and it's got um, some kind of gnarled edges, but it all is pointing uh, like a spiral to its tip, uh, and you try to activate it. Yes. And a small point of light uh, extends from the wand, and you're trying to aim it directly at the, where exactly? At the eyes. At At the the eyes eyes of the, the, we're going after the the giant one, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so, yeah, you see a few other spells being uh, thrown at this uh, huge gargantuan doppelganger, uh, but your single point of light does connect with the monster, um, but it is trying to see if it can dodge out of the way. 
so it's going to be half damage because he did he did save. Um, but if you can, please roll me twelve d sixes and oh. then take half of that. Are you ready? Ready. Fourteen. I have rolled a remarkable amount of ones and twos. <laughs> oh no, fourteen total. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so as even though there's all these spells being slung about, your goes forward, and just at that moment, the doppelganger uh, hugely kind of bends down and is going to try and pick up um, a uh, bystander. Maybe it might even be Daryl. You're not sure. Oh uh, no! In, in the fracas, and it's bending down, and the fireball explodes directly over its head, uh, and some of them you see it. It goes, you know, thirty um, feet in. Uh, radius, so it's a big, huge blast of fire, but only parts of it uh, singe the top of the doppelganger oh. and only do seven points of damage. Oh, crap. Uh, and uh. your gnomish friend said, that was right. Do I have to get it directly into its eyes if you can? I know. You're a bad driver. <laughs> I am not. I am an expert <laughs> animal handler. How dare you? <laughs> Give me another spell. Or I can cast a ray of frost. Uh, well, I gotta spin around again. You'll get another right. chance to... Um, and then, in fact, you do see Daryl oh, in uh, the doppelganger's uh, fist. Uh, <gasps> he seems to be knocked out. He doesn't. He seems to be a little bit limp in its fist. Wait, go, go, go to the, go there. I point to his fist. That's my brother. We have to save him. Uh, Daryl in peril. That's Darryl not the mission. Peril. The mission's oh, not save Daryl. The mission is stop all of the destruction. I try to grab the reins. Interesting. Okay, uh, go ahead and uh, hmm, maybe an animal handling check to see if you're able to kind of steer this way. It's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. I'm gonna say twenty five. <gasps> really? I credit it. Oh my goodness! All right, so then yeah, you pull the reins and you direct uh, the Griffin, and as it was banking one way, you kind of make it bank the other way, and it is now going directly towards the uh, fist that is holding your brother, and we'll pick it up next time as. Fist and Griffin, you're now approaching very fast towards your limp uh, brother in the fist oh. of the giant. Oh, Daryl! We'll see what happens next time. Okay. And then the gnome says, I'm angry with you! Be angry later! <laughs> Wants me to join the guild. Another MLM, no doubt. <laughs> 